Hello, hello, and welcome to Mega Jordanary. If this is your first time tuning in, my name is Megan. And my name is Jordan. And welcome to our podcast. Today's episode is part two of Ireland's Vanishing Triangle. If you haven't listened to the first part, we suggest you do so now before listening to this one. On last week's episode, we discussed the disappearance of 26-year-old Annie McCarrick, an American woman that had been living in Ireland who vanished without a trace after last being seen in Enniskerry in the 1990s. On today's episode, we will be discussing the disappearance of Jojo Dollard. So before we begin, we're going to give our usual disclaimer. Viewer discretion is advised for this episode, as we will be discussing some extremely sensitive topics that may be triggering to some. These topics include violence, murder, so please listen at your own discretion. All of the information that we are discussing in this episode is readily available online. This content is for informational purposes only. Josephine Dollard, known by her nickname Jojo, was born in Callan, County Kilkenny on January the 25th, 1974. Jojo's parents had actually passed away when she was very, very young, so she was actually reared by her siblings, specifically her elder sisters. Jojo's father had died suddenly in the weeks before her birth, leaving behind his pregnant wife and their three daughters and one son. And then unfortunately, when Jojo just turned 10 years old, her mother passed away also. Jojo had been living in Dublin in the years before her disappearance with one of her childhood friends. They had been studying beauty therapy, but they actually dropped out shortly before her disappearance because they were finding it hard to balance college and work. Jojo and her friend Mary had been living in a couple of flats in and around Dublin City when they were studying this beautician course. They lived in Ratmines and Fibsborough. And they actually worked as waitresses um, in a number of pubs across the city as well. But when they decided that it was time to move back to Callan, they secured work at Dawson's pub. Their family and friends were delighted that the girls had decided to move back home. The girls had actually been still receiving their social welfare payments at a post office in Harold's Cross in Dublin. And their last payment was due for collection on Thursday, the 9th of November, 1995. On Thursday morning, 9th of November, 1995, Jojo took the early morning bus to Dublin. After she collected her money that Thursday morning, she had a few hours to wait around for her bus, which was not due to leave until shortly after 6pm that evening, from the Busiris Terminus in Dublin City Centre. While Jojo was living in Dublin, she would regularly visit a bar called Brochelles in the Dublin inner city. Jojo decided to head there that particular day to see if any of her old friends were still around. And when she got to the bar, she realised that one of her old friends was still working there. He was a barman at the time. A few old friends came throughout the day and they caught up and had a catch up. Sometime around half two that day, they were joined by... Jojo's ex-boyfriend. They had a few drinks and decided that they would book a hotel and spend the night together. They decided to book into the North Star Hotel on Amiens Street. Soon after 6pm that night, as Jojo's bus was about to pull away from the bus station heading for her hometown, a woman entered the bar. It turns out that this woman was Jojo's ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend and ended up a fight breaking out. 
after this argument, Jojo's ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend left the bar. And this meant that Jojo was now stranded in Dublin. At this point, Jojo was extremely annoyed after what had ensued. She was annoyed that she had felt led on by her ex-boyfriend. She had a couple of drinks. You know, she just wanted to go home at this point. I believe people she was with suggested that she book herself into one of the various hostels available in Dublin city centre. But impulsively, Jojo decided to head to Bussaris at around 9pm. And she found the last bus was gone. There was no other buses travelling to her hometown of Callan. But there was a bus that was travelling as far as Nace County Kildare. She decided to just take it and figured that she would hitchhike the rest of the way. Hitchhiking now seems just a complete no-go. But back then in the 90s it was a very common occurrence. Jojo fell asleep on this bus to Nace and the driver had to wake her up when they reached her destination to advise her that this was the last stop. Now, the terminus was just across from Nace Garda station. This was around 10pm approximately and when Jojo exited the bus, she headed in the direction of Kilcullen, the next town on her journey home. Jojo was standing on the side of the road for a couple of minutes with her tongue pointed out when a car pulled in. The male driver offered her a lift, told her that he was only going as far as Kilcullen. She accepted his offer, knowing that she was going to have to get probably way more lifts during that night because Kilcullen wasn't even a fraction of the way home. It was around 12 kilometres between Nace and Kilcullen and she got talking to the driver and she told him of the length that she still had to travel and weirdly, the driver of this car advised her to be extremely careful about who she took a lift with. He then told her that she'd be better off booking into one of the lodgings and waiting until the morning to continue her journey home. But Jojo was adamant that she'd already started her journey and she was like, look, I'll be home in no time. When the driver dropped her off in Kilcudden, she got a lift pretty quickly. It was again another male driver and they told her that they were only going as far as the village of Moon, which would again leave Jojo with over half of the journey still to go. But she decided to take the lift. When they arrived in Moon, just before 11.30pm, Jojo got out of the car by a telephone booth. Now this telephone booth is a vital part of the story. Jojo decided to ring her friend Mary, who was back in Callan, and fill her in on the night. Just in case Mary was worried that she had not shown up on the last bus from Dublin. That was at six o'clock. Now, just to know, Jojo's brother actually lived not too far away from Moon. Uh, he lived in a tie at the time. So, presumably, if all else failed, Jojo, if she hadn't got a lift, I'm sure she probably would have well it would have crossed her mind that she could call her brother and he would have come to collect her so she was in the phone booth speaking to her friend she'd kept the door of the phone booth ajar so as Jojo was filling her friend Mary in on the events of that night she told her to hold on for a moment she put the phone down Mary could hear the sound of the door closing 
and then silence which lasted for around 30 seconds there thereabouts Jojo then came back and told Mary verbatim I have a lift I'm off then the call ended and this was the last ever contact received from Jojo Dullard it's mad because had Jojo have even said like it's a male he's in a blue car a Toyota whatever it may be who knows if Mary had have went to the police if she had have known that information if Jojo had have divulged that information things could be a lot different now who knows a witness told the guard that they had seen a woman run away from a telephone box to a car in Moon on that night. And the witness said that the car was a four-door dark car and that she thought it could be a Toyota Carina, which was probably the most popular model in Ireland at that time. The witness actually said she seen a woman open the rear passenger door and she thought that there was two people in the front. Witnesses also came forward to the Gardaí to say they had seen a woman walking along the main street in the village of Castle Derma, which is the town next to Moon, and they said that this was just before midnight. And these sightings seemed to correspond with the travel times, there or thereabouts between the locations. The next day Mary had arrived to work at Dawson's pub, and she hadn't heard from Jojo all that day, and when she realised she didn't turn up for her shift, Mary told the bar manager about the call she had received from Jojo the night before and they ran Jojo's sister Kathleen to see if she had heard anything from Jojo. Kathleen immediately rang a number of family members and friends to see if anyone had heard from Jojo at all and when she realised nobody heard from her she alerted the guard station to report Jojo missing. It wasn't until the following Monday, four days after the last contact from Jojo, that any investigations commenced. Kathleen has always said that she was disappointed with the initial Garda response and she was met with dismissal of her younger sister's disappearance. As previously mentioned in the first episode, Annie McCarrick's episode, we are taking a lot of our information from the book by one of the lead detectives on the case, Missing Presumed Alan Bailey. He was one of the lead detectives in the Operation Trace, which was a task force specifically designed to locate these missing women in the vanishing triangle, quote-unquote. And he advised that there was a lot of rumours around the towns that locals knew who had abducted and killed Jojo. And the guards were later accused of all being party to a conspiracy cover-up. And that they knew the suspect's identity because apparently this suspect was the son of a well-known political figure in and around Kildare at the time. People were suggesting that the burial site was on the farm owned by the suspect's father. The first story said that Jojo's body had been hidden in a newly poured foundation for a cattle briar. And then there were other rumours that had suggested that Jojo's body was hidden in drainage ditches that were being cleared around the same time. So the police obviously had to investigate this because 
it was word on the street, you know, any lead is a lead. So they done their investigating. They actually found the name of the builder who had laid the foundations for the cattle buyer and they questioned. They established that the building had been in place for a, a period of time prior to Jojo's disappearance. And they found records at the firm and found out who supplied the ready mix concrete and then they confirmed that also and they spoke with the contractor who had worked at the digging of the various drainage ditches so they ruled all of this out and put it to bed no driver has ever come forward to say that they were the one that picked jojo up at that telephone box in moon Apparently a local reported a group of five English men to the police. They said that these men were acting suspicious. So the Gardaí had a look into a local B&B and they discovered that these five men were over in Ireland from the UK on a fishing trip and they interviewed the landlady of the B&B and she told investigators that all these men were in bed by 11.30pm on the night of Jojo's disappearance and they didn't leave until the next morning so they were ruled out. There was also an arrest made on the Friday, the 10th of November, the day after Jojo's disappearance in Kilkenny. There were two Englishmen who were known as petty criminals that were arrested while attempting to steal cash from a telephone box in a pub. Now, they were known to come over to Ireland frequently and made a living out of stealing the cash from these boxes. And on the night of their arrest, they were said to have been driving a dark four-door Ford Sierra with English reg plates. Given that there was both a Kilkenny connection and a reference to public telephone boxes, the Gardaí considered this relevant. And... Also, the witness that came forward and said that Jojo got into a car and she believed that there were two passengers in the front obviously warranted it further to be investigated. Ultimately, they done their checks and they ruled these two men out in Jojo's disappearance. In January 1997, a Waterford-based taxi driver contacted the Gardaí. He said that he finished working his shift just after 1am on Friday the 10th of November 1995. He drove back home to Kilmacow and just before he reached the turn off for the main road, he seen a car pull over on the side of the road in the hard shoulder and there was a man standing on the right hand side with the door open. He also saw the rear passenger door of the car swung open and he claims to have seen a woman with no shoes on jump out of the car and try to run away. He said that the man that was standing at the car ran after this woman, grabbed her and pushed her back into the car and sped off into the direction of Waterford Sea. He couldn't recall any details of the registration plate but he was adamant it was an English reg and that he thinks it was a red Ford Sierra saloon car. Why the taxi driver decided to come forward two years later is very strange. Now he said that he called over to his local police station a couple of days after Jojo's disappearance looking for a particular guard that he knew. But this guard that the taxi driver knew was away on holidays at that time. He said that he had a busy Christmas and he didn't get around to 
notifying them beforehand. If the Gardaí had have been aware of it earlier, the car could have been sighted, followed up as it would have influenced the location of all the various searches. Now we are going to go back to these two petty criminals. Garda tried to relocate these two men again and located them in May 1997. They found the two of the men sleeping in their car in the village of Golden in South Tipperary. The Garda pulled these two men in for questioning about the night of Jojo's disappearance. The two men said they had stayed in a B&B in Cork City and that they had returned to England the following Saturday. The Gardaí followed up on this by contacting the B&B owner. The landlady checked the visitor's log because she had actually taken down their registration number. So this evidence ruled the two men out in having any involvement in Jojo's disappearance. Now just a month after Jojo's disappearance, a second female went missing. 41-year-old Marilyn Wren was reported missing on St. Stephen's Day by her brother, Stephen, after she had failed to appear for Christmas dinner at her parents' house. Marilyn had attended her work Christmas party on December 21st, and after this, she went to Eddie Rockets and had a cup of tea and something to eat, and then took a night link back to Blanchardstown. I believe the Christmas party was in Ranelagh, so she made her way from Ranelagh, to the city centre and then took the night link from the city centre to Blanche. A massive Garda search ensued and on January the 7th in Tolka Valley Park, a cadaver dog and its handler found Marilyn Wren's naked body just 15 minutes after the search began. Allegedly this was a shortcut that Marilyn would take on her way home. She was very, very close to her house It's just so sad. Marilyn had been raped and strangled. Marilyn's clothes were all stacked neatly beside her body. The post-mortem found semen. And so the Gardaí were banking on DNA to solve this crime. Local men came forward and gave their DNA samples. And Marilyn's neighbour, a man named David Lawler, had presented himself to the Gardaí and agreed to be questioned and provide a DNA sample because he had been researching DNA online and because it was relatively new at the time, he got cocky and believed he wouldn't be found out, basically. But after DNA analysis, David was arrested and convicted for the murder of Marilyn Wren. Detectives discovered a number of links between David Lawler and Jojo Dollard, which qualified him as a person of interest in the investigation. So David was originally from Bolton Glass, which was a short distance from where Jojo had last been seen. And he was also a regular in Brussels, the pub where Jojo had spent the entire afternoon on the day of her disappearance. Apparently, people in the pub, regulars, nicknamed him Jesus because of his long beard and his untidy hair. And they also said that he would sit in the bar for hours watching the female customers like an absolute creep. What gets even weirder is that this man is a first cousin 
of convicted rapist Larry Murphy. If you're not familiar with who Larry Murphy is, we are going to be delving deep into this monster and his crime and alleged crimes and links to the Vanishing Triangle, allegedly, in the next podcast episode. David Lawler was eventually ruled out in the disappearance of Jojo because the Gardaí had established that he had used his bank card to take cash from an ATM machine in Blanchardstown around midnight on the night of Jojo's disappearance. And there was also other evidence like activity on his personal home computer at around the same time. To this day, the disappearance of Jojo Dollard remains unsolved, like many of the women considered to be a part of this vanishing triangle. Jojo's family are constantly putting out appeals for any new information in the disappearance of Jojo. It doesn't matter how much time passes, you never know whose memory will be jogged or who's heard something from a family member or hearsay, you know, any information is information at the end of the day. We have seen time and time again these cold cases getting solved and justice being served for the victims and closure for the family and friends of the victims. We will be back next week for another episode. So until then, guys, stay Stay safe. safe.